sit down and buckle up. It's time for the Pirate Monk Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Pirate Monk Podcast. Oh, I'm your friend Nate Larkin here with your friend and mine, Aaron Porter. Uh, Aaron, has uh, Casa Porter gotten a little busier lately? (laughs) Well, no, we've slowed back down. But yeah, Yeah. a day after the work day, after the retreat weekend, I had my second son and girlfriend came and visited for 10 days. Wow. It was 15 straight days of very early mornings and very late nights. And after I drove into the airport, I immediately had a very high fever and laid in bed for two days, which was <sighs> a way of saying, I'm not sick. You're just stupid. Um, <laughs> that I feel better now, but I've also got my first son. And, you know, depending on when this episode gets posted, it might have already happened. But uh, yeah, he's going to visit in two weeks. And then he is going to be moving here with his girlfriend at the end of January. So I'm going to fly to California and drive back with them. Wow. We're going to go back to having like five people in the house, which has been a long time. Mm -hmm. It's been two years of just me and two teenagers. Yeah, yeah. Well, our house has been very full as well. That's uh, you know, right. So, you know, my daughter had a disaster up at her place, uh, a plumbing break that flooded the house. And uh, repairs are taking four freaking ever. Okay. But, I have a question about this. Yeah. I yeah. was very curious, especially after uh, driving your grandchildren and mm-hmm. uh, wife to where they needed to go. We had a good 40 30 or 40 minutes in the car, mm-hmm. uh, which I enjoy your grandchildren. They are all very unique in their own mm-hmm. ways. But having these kids in the house, I am curious what aspects of having teenagers, because you've got like what, two 13 year olds? Three teenagers. Two 13 year olds. Two 13 year olds and a 16 year old. Yeah. In the house, what aspects do you feel like, oh, I feel like I'm better as a parent. Oh yeah. And which aspects you're like, nope, this is freaking harder. Yeah, well, I have uh Yeah, it's harder in some ways in that well, for one thing, I want to go to bed early. I'm not up for, you know, I'm not up for staying up late. Mm-hmm. Uh and I I'm more sensitive to loud noises and I'm more particular about where I want stuff to be. I don't want to live in a chaotic house with stuff everywhere. So I'm a little bit of cranky grandpa there. However, um I'm also I think uh a lot more emotionally and physically affectionate with the kids. Um they they really seem, oddly enough, to like me and to want to be around me. Uh, maybe that's because I also spoil them in ways I couldn't spoil my kids back when they were little and we were broke. Um, yeah. So I, I do think I'm better at being a grandfather than I was at being a father. Allie really had to pick up a lot of the slack for me when our kids were little, and she did a wonderful job. So she... 
deserves most of the credit for how well our kids have turned out. Today, I'm, I'm, Allie still is great with me. Oh, she's wonderful with these grandkids. Uh, but I'm no slouch myself, and I'm able to just hang and listen to stories and laugh and play games, and uh, I'm enjoying it. You know, they, they've been they've been here now for two months, and uh, wow. you know, we're not ready to shoot them yet. Now, see, I was very thankful on my long drive that I happened to be of the era where I owned Transformer toys and watched the uh, cartoon. So I was able to engage your grandson with a, really a lot of educated opinions about the Autobots and Decepticons, but I'm sure you've learned a lot about Transformers <laughs> in the last two months, just based on that drive. <laughs> yeah, I hear an awful lot of backstory about Transformers, <laughs> and, uh, and and I watch an awful lot of demonstrations. <laughs> he is a demonstrator. He did take me yeah. inside and transformed every one of his toys for me. It was great. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, and by the way, they're made so much better now. When I was a kid, every time I transform it, like an arm would fall off because it didn't quite turn right. And then the movies came out when my oldest sons uh, were kids. So they brought the toys again. And so I bought those for them. And darn it, if they didn't fall apart like three times into transforming them. uh, The ones he had, I was like, this is great. They finally learned how to make transformable toys that don't break every two (laughs) seconds. So I, I was actually interested in that, but I can't imagine. Well, we need to get on with this because we've got a great conversation coming up. Yeah, yeah. Well, we are, God's in the transformation business. Uh, we are all wow. being transformed, are nice we not? Segue. See how I did that? But man, man, do parts get broken off during, <laughs> you know, I, I feel like we're saying, we're saying that God is the bad Mattel version of Transformer makers because <laughs> things get broken during the pr- transformation. But man, he can put them back on. Resurrection yeah. and all of that. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Hey boy, kudos to Justin Schwind who has gone on a booking tear, man. (laughs) Oh man. Has he lined up the guests and he found us. Here's a woman I have wanted to talk to for years. And we're going to talk to her in just a moment when we return on the pirate monk podcast. Welcome back to the Pirate Monk Podcast. We are privileged to have as our guest this week, none other than Dr. Julie Slattery. Uh, She may very well have come to your attention as she did mine just a few years ago with her book, Rethinking Sexuality. Uh, uh, She's got a new book out, God, Sex, and Your Marriage. Dr. Slattery is a a clinical clinical therapist. What's the... the, uh, Dr. Julie, what's the best way to describe you professionally? What are uh, your- Dr. Julie, yeah. introduce yourself. Oh, there we go. Yeah, my professional training and license is clinical psychologist. So okay. yeah, that's usually not how I describe myself, can, but that works. Can no. we call you? How do you describe yourself? Oh, yeah, that's a good question. Yeah. Um, let's see. Follower of Jesus. Uh-huh. Wife of Mike. Mom of three sons. 
I love ministry. Yeah, I don't know. Stuff like uh, that. Now, and not afraid to talk about sex. So that's I, good. Well, it doesn't mean I'm not afraid to talk about it, but I talk about it even though sometimes I am afraid to oh, talk about man. it. Oh, so. man. Okay. Oh, Number man. one, can we call you Dr. Julie through this whole interview? Because that just feels so fun. You can. I usually go by Julie, but oh, call me what you, whatever you know. want. That's fine. Okay. <laughs> All right. So what? You just said something. Nate made his like groaning sound. It impacted him as well. You have written and talked about sex an awful lot. And you just said, no, there's times that I don't feel comfortable about, but I still do. What, A, what was the time that you're like, this is my deal. I need to address yeah. this. And then what were those times where you said, oh my gosh, how did I end up being the person that has to talk about this all the time? And I feel <laughs> uncomfortable with it. Like, walk me through that. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. So I would say for the first like 15, 20 years of ministry, I was more of a generalist and mm -hmm. uh, and did a lot of work in marriage and family spaces and helping women with different issues. And so sexuality was part of that. You can't avoid it. But I was sort of reluctant in addressing it. Uh, and then about 11 years ago, I was working at Focus on the Family at the time. And the Lord just took me through a very deep season of seeking Him that lasted for about eight or nine months. And during that season, He just burdened my heart for sexual brokenness. And there's no other way to explain it. And then He began to move heaven and earth to show me that this was what He wanted me to do. So I left my job at Focus and co-founded a ministry called Authentic Intimacy. And so my Heart has been to address sexual issues for the last decade. And I definitely still have those days where I'm like, really? Like, this is my job? Uh, <laughs> I know the feeling. <laughs> I, yeah, I am not, I'm not a, the type of person that loves conflict or controversy. And uh -huh. uh, you can't talk about sex without entering into that space. So, um, but God, I just keep going back to the fact that God clearly called me and trusting that he equips us when he call when he calls us. So, and the joy, and I, I know you gentlemen get to see this is we just get to see amazing fruit of God, just mm -hmm. setting people free and um, changing lives. So who wouldn't want to do that? Okay. So what is your husband's name? My husband's name is Mike. Okay. You said that. So yep. you are engaged in such deep conversations about intimacy how to connect with your spouse. I love the fact that you, you want to equip women with how to use their power within that relationship uh, to really create the man in the marriage that they hoped for versus just waiting for a man to become something that we're clearly not, obviously. <laughs> so in the midst of all of that, I don't know you and Mike and your relationship, but has that been hard at certain points where like I'm gaining these insights through many conversations, through many things that I come to believe deeply, and then I come home to Mike and I have to try to work that out on my own. And sometimes it's not living up to the ideals that I know are possible. Like, what has that been like for you? Oh, boy, <laughs> what, what an insightful question. You know, I think, Erin, it actually works the other way around. So uh, in the, the challenge of being a wife, of being a mom, 
I feel the pain and the tensions and the disappointment that is probably normal for for most women. And then that makes me seek the scripture. It makes me seek the Lord. It makes me seek wisdom. And then as God begins to direct me, then the ministry comes out of there. So, um, so it usually is, it usually is stuff that I'm struggling with. Mm. Not always, but, um, but I really don't like to teach things that I, I don't feel like I've wrestled with at some level in my own heart. So you're not the expert, Mm. you're the pilgrim. Who's yes. who's giving a travel log on the places yeah, you've been? Exactly. Yeah. Are yeah. there are, and, uh, are there any? And a, go ahead. I was going to say there are certainly topics that I address that I haven't personally experienced, but even then, like I really want to go through the journey of seeking what does the Lord say about this, and not just again. I don't want to be an expert, so I don't feel like I'm an expert. I just maybe a few steps further than some of the people that I'm talking to. Are there any moments that come to mind where you're like, oh my gosh, I just did what I taught and it is surprisingly effective. I know yes. I know I've had those. What comes to mind? Because there are certain moments that I've had. Like, yeah. I, tell me what comes well, to mind when I say that. You know, it's interesting. The first book I wrote, I wrote uh, over 20 years ago and it was called Finding the Hero in Your Husband. And I really, as a young wife, was wrestling with, what do I do with my power? Like there are areas Mm -hmm. where I feel like I know more than my husband does, or I'm stronger in my personality, or I'm stronger in my walk with the Lord. But yet I read the scripture and it tells me that I'm supposed to encourage his leadership. Like, I don't get that. And so as I wrestled through that, I came out with this idea of power and how wives have so much power, they don't realize it. They're either going to build their house and their husband or destroy it with their power. So I I wrote that book as a young wife. And then I just rewrote it like two years ago with just a whole new perspective. And now that I'm an older woman and rewrote Mm -hmm. it for the woman, women today, but reading that book and rewriting it, there was so much in it that I was like, wow, like that worked, you know, over the last (laughs) 20 years, like, the things that the Lord had given me so long ago, like I've been able to see how effective they've been in forging intimacy in our marriage. So, so can we, that would be one place. Can we pause on that? Because yeah. power dynamic, I immediately think of Solomon, who is the wealthiest, most powerful king at that time in an incredibly hierarchical man centered leadership time of life. And he was at the top of that hierarchy. And yet the whole story is, and yeah, the women in his life brought him low, which is kind of like, okay, Mr. Guy with all the power, you didn't seem to have as much power as it seemed from the cultural structure. Right. And so every relationship deals in power dynamics that both a husband and a wife have power over the others based on what, what they need and want from the other. And we either right. use that power to get what we want or like the title of that book suggests, you can use that power to give back to the person. So can you talk a little more about power dynamics and structure and how it can make a relationship or destroy it entirely? Mm, yeah, you're so right. And it's not just Solomon, but you look at David, yeah. same thing happened to him. Mm-hmm. You look at Samson. So you guys are the mm-hmm. Samson project. Look at him again. Uh, his life was really determined by how he reacted to 
women using their power <laughs> manipulatively. So, uh, yeah, I, I think that this is one of those secrets of marriage that we don't talk about often, but God has given both a husband and wife very unique areas of power. And as you mentioned, Erin, they really are based on needs and desires. So what my husband needs gives me power. And Mm -hmm. uh, most people try to change the relationship dynamic by focusing on what they need. But really, your zone of power is understanding your spouse's need. And uh, and then you have to decide what you're going to do with that power. Can you unpack that practically? You just said most people deal with their power in terms of what they need versus what the other person needs. Tell me what that looks like in a marriage. Yeah. So, for example, uh, I think the majority of women have two basic underlying needs in marriage. So one of them is to feel cherished by their husband. Like they want to feel like they're number one in his life. And the other basic need is at some level, they need to feel protected by him, um, whether it's financial or spiritual leadership, um, that, but he's safe. He's watching out for her. And uh, instead of focusing on how that, how that really gives him power, most women instead are trying to change the dynamic by saying, why don't you love me more? Or why don't you provide for me? Or why don't you a spiritual leader? She is not going to change the marriage with that focus. Instead, if she begins to say, okay, where are my husband's needs? That's where I have power. So uh, um, so in Finding the Hero and Your Husband, I broke down a man's needs to three basic ones. Um, one of them is that he needs... He needs to be your hero. He needs to feel respected. And I, I explained to women like how that's different than how we want to re- be respected. Like men are very sensitive to failure mm-hmm. and their wives have the most powerful vote on whether or not they're a failure. And so every day he's waking up saying, do you believe in me? You know, mm-hmm. and, and her verbals, her nonverbals, how she behaves is, is either thumbs up or thumbs down. Uh, and then I talked about how men also have this need for the wife to be the teammate, to be his helper. So she has insights that he doesn't into how to navigate relationships and parenting and and just life. And if she is lending her gifts to him, then he's going to be successful. Mm-hmm. If she's withholding those gifts or being competitive, then he's not likely to be successful. And then the third need I talk about is sharing the sexual journey, that he really wants that teammate aspect in the sexual journey. It's not just about having sex. It's about, do I have to be isolated and keep my struggles to myself and battle alone? Or does she really understand my sexuality and journey with me? So if a wife will understand that those three needs give her great power, she can begin to change the marriage dynamics by looking at what she's doing with that power instead of just focusing on where her needs aren't getting met. Now, I, 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 you're not suggesting, I assume, um, you're not suggesting that that the woman is all powerful or that, for example, a woman has, a wife has the power to prevent her husband from cheating. No, not uh, absolutely not. Right. Um, yeah. So, so, you, so if he cheats, it's not, uh, 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 yeah. I it's, hear, it's I so hear for husbands to blame wives. I hear where right? you're no. going, Nate. 
This is yeah. our wives who accept blame. Yeah. No, I actually think that when you fall into that trap, it's a misuse of your power. Um, mm-hmm. Because what is that second need I mentioned? It's companionship. It's team teamwork. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. so when a when a wife sits by after a husband's cheated or if he's engaging mm-hmm. in pornography, she's actually not providing that accountability and setting the boundaries that a good teammate mm-hmm. would would set. And so none of this is control. It's power. Right. Wow. So okay. Oh. The difference between control and power. Break that down, Dr. Julie. You get a Dr. Julie <laughs> for that one. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, um, well, I, it's the difference between influence and control. So mm-hmm. control means I'm responsible for someone else's behavior and I can change someone else's behavior. Mm-hmm. Influence is I'm impacting the environment and I'm impacting behavior, but ultimately we're accountable before God for our own attitudes, behaviors, reactions. So uh, there are still women who will do this very well, but are married to men who won't change or who have Mm -hmm. hard hearts. Um, And so some of the coaching even through that book is like there's a, a whole chapter on when to stand up. Mm-hmm. You know, part mm-hmm. of using your power well is not not just sitting in weakness while mm-hmm. there are things that need to be addressed, but how do we address them in a way that doesn't create sin in our own hearts? So, mm-hmm. you know, there are women who are really struggling with these issues with their husbands and they either become passive because they feel helpless or they become dominating and controlling because it's how they be, they stay safe. Yeah, it's how they feel safe. Um, but what God calls us to do is neither of those two because both of those are based on fear. Uh, but with courage to step in and to have the hard conversations, to set the hard boundaries without our hearts becoming bitter. I yeah, I think yeah. you said something that is so important. I'm sorry, I've got dogs in the screens of both of your uh isn't it great? <laughs> I, feel, I feel left out. My dog's down below. You can't see it. Uh, this is the dog show. You mentioned the hardness of hearts, which is such an important realistic caveat to all of this. Because we can passionately desire change and buy your books or anybody else's books. But when we look to the Old Testament, where God put provision for divorce into Old Testament law, it was because of the hardness of people's hearts. It wasn't because of anything else other than, hey, there are certain people that are just like, screw this. I'm not in. I am obstinately not wanting to participate in growth. And that can leave Mm -hmm. us really confused when we're saying, I'm pursuing this biblical marriage and dealing with these problems. And the other person's like, yeah, I'm watching football. Go. Yeah. Go away. And, and yeah. that's a hard pill to swallow, and it's it's hard to believe, okay, God still loves me, and his word tells me how this should be, and yet. So, can you tell us a little more about that hardness of hearts? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think you've explained it really well, and I think there can be hardness of heart on both sides. Mm-hmm. You know, there mm-hmm. are other situations where um, there's problems in the marriage, and let's say it's pornography. And uh, a guy begins to confess that and wants help, but the woman says, I'm done. You know, mm-hmm. I don't care how much you change. Uh, you know, I just heard about a marriage that like this that happened recently, a very young couple 
And the wife was like, nope, I'm not, I'm gone. I'm not in this, even though the husband was willing to do whatever it took, um, Mm -hmm. whatever kind of support group therapy intensive. So uh, hardness of heart will kill a marriage and Mm -hmm. hardness of heart will kill your relationship with the Lord. Uh, You know, I think it's so critical, especially in the Western context of conversation about marriage, where we realize that the scripture really doesn't deal with us as a married couple. Um, The scripture deals with people as individuals. And so Mm -hmm. I'm not going to stand before the Lord and give account for my marriage. I'm going to stand before the Lord and give account for my own heart. How did I steward what had been, has been given to me? How did I steward uh, myself as a wife, as a mom? And I think that's critical for people to understand that, you're not accountable for your spouse's behavior, but you are accountable for the state of your own heart. So thinking mm-hmm. back to what you said about what makes this healthy power, uh, let's go from the wife perspective. I always hate when we talk about affairs as being like the guy cheats on the girl, because there's a lot of mm-hmm. wives that cheat on husbands. So this goes both Very ways. Yep. But the second that happens and it's disclosed, it creates an incredible power differential right? where mm-hmm. the wife is often not feeling like, how do I make my husband the hero? She's like, no, you're an yeah. asshole. Yes. Uh, and then he's feeling like I have no power and it just, it gets very wacky for a time. And sometimes mm-hmm. that couple does not ever get out of that wackiness to get back to partnership. So Mm -hmm. what does it look like for a couple in those early stages and moving towards the appropriate balance of they each have power in each other's lives and they can trust each other with that again? Yeah. uh, When we talk about affairs, you know, the scripture treats this differently than any other way that we can sin against each other. And there's a reason for that um, because God designed marriage to be a covenant And that covenant is meant to reflect his covenant with his people. And uh, and covenant is based on promise. It's based on character, uh, particularly it's based on fidelity. And so when there is an affair, it's a break of covenant. So Mm -hmm. there are a lot of other ways that a man and a woman can hurt each other. Some of them can be disastrous. But betrayal, sexual betrayal, is like from the, a scriptural standpoint, it stands apart from any other way that we sin against each other. Uh, mm-hmm. And this is interesting. It's even written on our hearts, I think, because um, like the Gallup poll does this research every year of Americans that ask them about moral categories. Is something right or wrong? And as you can anticipate, in almost every category of sexual acting out or sexual ethics, Americans become more and more tolerant of every sexual behavior, um, including having sex outside of marriage, polygamy, even pornography. Uh, but the one, the one question that never changes is, is it wrong to cheat on your spouse? And only nine to 10% of Americans every year will say that's okay. Whereas like this year, I think it was like 25% of Americans said polygamy was okay. So we know that that betrayal, sexual betrayal, is something 
that has a category of its own. Uh, and God created it that way because co- he's trying to reveal to us through marriage covenant. And so through the breach of covenant in a marriage relationship, we can say, okay, this is how God feels when we worship other gods. We're being unfaithful mm-hmm. to our covenant. Um, so in that situation, we don't want to talk as much about power dynamics as we do. Your covenant is broken. Like to use mm-hmm. a metaphor, this is an earthquake. So a couple will face storms and might face hurricanes, but the ground is still stable. An earthquake mm-hmm. is when something moves that was never meant to move. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and so every other thing that couples are dealing with are, are hurricanes and you take shelter and you navigate through it. But when the earthquake happens, it's like, wow, like that wasn't ever supposed to be moved. And so what a couple needs to go through in recovering from an infidelity is they need to rebuild the very foundation of covenant before they can ever start talking about power dynamics or intimacy. And most marriage experts will say that it takes between two and four years Mm -hmm. for a couple to fully recover from an infidelity. And it's usually not until they've done some significant work, maybe 18 months, two years into it, where now the ground is stable again and they can start working on intimacy, power dynamics, things like that. Mm-hmm. So keeping that intact, I don't, I don't mm-hmm. want to move away. I heard Nate sigh. He, he or breathe in. Hold that thought, Nate. <laughs> uh, that being completely intact, I also still feel like the relationship that is most rewarding at a heart level is when both people walk in partnership with their power. Yes. And so, although you've got this earthquake, and for all those reasons you described, there is now an incredible broken piece where you're not partnering anymore. You've got a person that can't trust the other person's power, and you've got a person Mm -hmm. who can't ask for what they need the other person to use their power for in their life. So on both sides, that... That is so often when I talk to people beneath the surface, what they're describing, this process feels mm-hmm. horrible. And, and it's in part because I think you're so right with the power dynamic piece that that needs to be in place to have a beautiful and healthy marriage. And I'm still acknowledging what you're saying that you can't address that and fix that until right. you do the rebuilding of the covenant. But ultimately that feels like it's kind of the goal where they get back to the place they can trust each other with the power that the other has in their own heart and life. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think whenever there's been a pattern or an earthquake type situation where someone has used that position of vulnerability and intimacy to wound, there's, there's an extra onus on that individual to work, to reestablish trust. And so it's not just in the case of an infidelity, but let's say you have a case where for 20 years, a woman has been manipulative, controlling, um, derisive to her husband, withholding sex, you know, those sort of things. She has so eroded the trust with her husband in little ways over time that to win his heart back, she's going to have to really work to prove 
Like I'm, I'm, I'm safe with your heart. Um, and so I work a lot more on the woman's side of things. And sometimes when women see the ways that over decades, they've just been chipping away at their husband uh, and critical of him and humiliating him in front of other people and their children, like she just gets to this point of like conviction and remorse. And mm-hmm. it's, it's a similar rebuilding process of confession, of repentance, and then of making a commitment that whatever it takes, I want to earn, I want to earn your heart back. I want to earn your trust back. Um, so whoever it is, and for whatever reason, if there's been a s- serious breaches in how we're treating each other with our power, there has to be, again, that true remorse, repentance, and then a longer process of, of rebuilding the fact that I'm trustworthy. I'm not who I was. I, I love that you're talking about the little things that equal big things. They're not big ticket mm-hmm. item sins, but man, they matter. Yeah. And that you have to build it and you're not owed it. You are not yes. owed their trust. All right, Nate, no. what were you going to say? Well, first of all, I'm, I'm so grateful that, that uh, Julie, that Dr. Julie accepted the assignment that the Lord gave her, uh, drafted into this work and is willing to address difficult subjects and have uncomfortable conversations. Uh, it strikes me, I don't know if this is accurate, and it really seems as though you have a lot of credibility among women. And would you say that most of your audience is female? Would you know? Yeah, you know, it, it's always been that way. Um, mm-hmm. I would say, Nate, uh, up until 2018, when I wrote Rethinking Sexuality, and then all of a sudden, it was no longer just a women's ministry. Like we didn't make that decision. Yeah. Yeah. Um, right. So now I'd say like 35% of our podcast listeners are men. The majority of our events are for all church. Uh, so it's, it's been kind of interesting how that's happened. Right. And just also having men say like, you talk about sex differently than the men I've heard do. And that's yeah. helpful. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So yeah. we're just kind of going where the Lord leads and he seems to have opened up open up that conversation for men. Well, yeah. And you are a very safe person to talk to. Um, and so you get, you answer a lot of questions on your Moody, or, uh, Moody radio show. I'm wondering, uh, have you seen any trends in the questions that are being asked, the issues that are coming to the fore? Uh, yeah. Yeah. What have you seen? Yeah. Um, I think, first of all, we see more of the same. So if mm-hmm. we were to go back 10 years ago, the, there were still questions about pornography. There were mm-hmm. still questions about infidelity, about sexual abuse recovery. Now those are amplified uh, yes. almost to the point where if I'm meeting with a couple or an individual, I'm going to assume that there's some pretty significant sexual brokenness until they tell me otherwise. And, um, I think also the awareness of sort of the fallout of purity culture has really Mm -hmm. impacted some of the questions and some of the thinking that people are navigating, um, also questions around LGBTQ, whether that's just cultural questions or parenting questions, uh, those are new with, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, it's normal now for, for a second grader to come home and say, I don't know. I might be bisexual. You know, these sort of things never happened 10 years ago. 
Um, right. So those those are new questions. Again, even from coming out of the pandemic, the explosion of uh, the non-binary gender and those sort of things mm-hmm. yeah. uh, are brand yeah. new. So yeah. yeah, I can tell you I'm never bored. Well, what, um, what would you say? <laughs> you, uh, you said, okay, I'm going to assume there's some some underlying sexual problems unless you tell me otherwise. Mm-hmm. What you didn't say problems though. You said what was the word used? Sexual brokenness. brokenness. Yeah. What mm-hmm. are the most common? Like, oh yeah, this. You know, there there can be some aberrant conversations where I'm like, oh, that was unexpected. But I expect these are some of the most common broken things I'm going to hear from a normal couple struggling. Mm-hmm. Not being on the same page sexually is a big mm-hmm. one. And um, for about 75% of couples, it's the man who has the higher sex drive or the initiating sexual desire. For about mm-hmm. 25% of couples, it's the woman. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there is a lot of pain and shame around that 25%. Yeah, totally. Um, because they feel like they don't fit the narrative they keep hearing. Yes. Uh, there can be a lot of blaming uh, I'd say when we look at the research, probably a third of couples are dealing with significant sexual trauma, either from either the wife or the husband or both. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would say probably 80% of marriages have some form of pornography history or use. Mm-hmm. Um, for women, a lot of women don't know how to enjoy sex or it's painful mm-hmm. uh, or it's a duty and their sexual shame that they're carrying because of things they've done in the past. Um, so those are some of the things, the common ones. Things they've done in the past or the ways they were taught about sex. That yep. this is yep. this is the wife's mm-hmm. duty. Mm-hmm. This is a physical need for the guy. I, I think of what was her name? Shanti Feldman. Is that possibly her name? Shanti mm-hmm. Feldman. Yeah, yeah. Shanti, yeah. Did, did yep. the uh whatever he Woman, I don't miss. For women only. Yeah, for women only. Mm-hmm. I love that book. And I love that she pulled guys who are like, I would rather be mowing the lawn than have sex and feel like my wife doesn't yep. want to have sex. I'm like, thank you very much. This is not about sex for Pete's sake. That's, <laughs> right? that's the most degrading thing ever to have sex with someone and you go in a scoundrel and come out feeling like a beggar. Now you go in a, right. you go in a beggar, come out feeling like a scoundrel. That's what my friends used to say. It's horrible. Uh-huh. Yep. And and yet women are taught like this is just a man's need, so just give it to him. It's like ah, right? Church, so I, I got a bone. Lie back and think of England, as I used to say back in the current <laughs> days. Uh, <laughs> uh, Julie, you, you used a phrase a little while ago that caught my attention. If you could unpack it a little bit, you, you used the phrase "the fallout from purity culture." Mm-hmm. What what is some of the fallout from purity culture within, especially among Christians? Yeah, I think uh, some of it we've been talking around a little bit. Um, it's it's the belief that sex is primarily a man's need and that mm-hmm. women are the gatekeepers of sex both before marriage and after. So before marriage, the women are in charge of making sure the men don't stumble by the way they dress or by the, <laughs> by the way they behave. Um, and if you have given your virginity away, you are used goods. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Nobody's going to mm-hmm. want you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then after marriage, women are the gatekeeper of sex in that if I don't keep my husband satisfied, he's going to look elsewhere. And so mm-hmm. it, it becomes a demand issue. 
so I think it's hit women a lot harder than it's hit men. Although I do think it's impacted men. I don't think mm-hmm. they're aware of the narratives they believe because of the purity culture. Um, like I think there are a lot of Christian men who believe sex is a need. My wife must uh, yeah. give it to yeah. me. They don't understand that, you know, there there's self-denial involved in mm-hmm. stewarding your sex life, whether you're single or married. Mm-hmm. Um, that doesn't end when you get married. I, I remember Nate and I did an interview a long time ago with a woman who had written an article that was about talking about sex with her sons and mm-hmm. navigating this. Wait, wait, wait. Oh, talking. Yes. With her sons about sex. Okay, good. Yeah. Did I say that yeah. differently? Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. However, okay. I said that, I apologize. Uh, All right. Okay. Anyways, good. talking with her sons about sex and that she realized, like, as a Christian, you want to elevate sex to the level of importance and sacredness that it has, but also not lose that it's supposed to be fun. This is God giving us, yeah. like, Hey, if I can't afford a date night out going to the movies and dinner, I can have free, wonderful time with my wife right here. Costs nothing. It's great. This is fun. But then the fun is like, oh, that's in danger of messing with the sanctity of it. Yeah. Like there's this weird balance between that. So how do we address that? And I'm I'm sure with all that you've written, you've addressed this. Yeah. Um, yeah, I have. That's part of the reason I wrote that last book, God, Sex, and Your Marriage. Because I think even Christian married couples have no idea what a good sex life is supposed to look like. Mm-hmm. Um, they just know we're supposed to follow the rules and we're not supposed to cheat on each other. Um, mm-hmm. And they don't know what it looks like to actually mature in their sexual relationship. So, um, So the way I describe it in that book is I talk about if sex really is meant to be a reflection of our covenant with God, then we want to look at our covenant with God to say, okay, this is the definition of a great sex life. So I look at four pillars that I think we see in our covenant with God and apply those to healthy sex and marriage. So the first one is faithfulness and you know that our covenant is based on faithfulness that without faithfulness, you have nothing. Um, and relate that to spiritual covenant with God as well as our sexual relationship. The second one is intimate knowing. And so the whole purpose of covenant is intimate fellowship. Mm-hmm. And, um, and most married couples are sexually active, but they're not sexually intimate. Mm-hmm. And so really giving the vision of what it is to share the journey of sexuality and not just share your bodies. Um, the third one is sacrificial giving um, that, that God's love for us required him to lay himself down for us. And we do the same to him. And in married sexuality, both partners need to learn what it is to love unselfishly. Both of them do not just one, um, but both of them saying, how do I delight you? How do I lay down my needs for you? How do I Mm -hmm. invite you into enjoyment? And then the fourth one is passionate celebration. And when we look at our relationship with God, you know, we are told to be joyful always. We're told to celebrate. Uh, and our gatherings on Sunday is the bride of Christ expressing mm-hmm. the fullness of our love to Him and with passion. And so, you know, I talk about how sex is the passionate celebration of the covenant of marriage. 
Um, and it should involve fun and it should involve pleasure, but it's those other three pillars that keep that pleasure safe mm-hmm. and appropriate. So okay. I don't know if that helps uh, answer okay. that question. But okay. There's, that, uh, I, there's two things that must be asked that are polar different. So Nate, remember whichever of the one we're not going to answer first, please. <laughs> the first is you're saying sex is supposed to be a reflection of this covenant with God. And yep. what I experienced for most Christians is their, ex- their, their actual life experience in their covenant with God is not at all fun. It's boring, right. has no joy. So of course, if sex is a reflection of that, they, they don't yet know how to enjoy the fact that, that through Jesus, the temple veil was rent and we are ushered into a dad relationship that's like, oh, climb up here. You're safe. In your yes. hour of need, come to my throne. So, A, I'm a little tweaked on that because that seems really true and how the church really screws up sex, starting at screwing up a relationship with God that yep. is stiff and formal. Yes. But here's here's the other thing. Uh, Ayn Rand, long ago, writer of Atlas Shrug, Fountainhead, wrote about the virtue of selfishness. Mm-hmm. And clearly not a Christian writer, and yet she said things that were so close to being biblical in ways that Christians don't express. One of those is the virtue of selfishness and sex as being appropriate, that if sex is always selfless and you're always giving— it ruins the intimacy where, right. where most guys if th- that I've talked to, and oh my gosh, when I say this to guys, they just light up, be like, okay, do you want your wife to be selfish sexually? I.e., she comes in the room and says, get in the bedroom. I want my orgasm now. You're giving it to me. Get your penis in here. He'd be like, oh my gosh. He would run into the room. Now, that's the most selfish thing a woman could ever say, right? Give it to me. No, it's not. <laughs> well, but, but it, it is. Okay. I love that you said no. It is an outward expression of this is what I want and only yes. you can give it to me. And right. that flies in the face of like, no, this is my duty to give it to you. And that's so devastating to the heart. And so there's yeah. something about, I'll use the word selfishness, though it's not going to fit with the Christian idea that is so important in this. Unpack that for me, please. Yeah. Boy, I think you're. it's great. Uh, are you familiar with Dr. Doug Rosenau's work? No, I only read fiction, a lot of Stephen King okay. and stuff like that. All right. Well, um, he, he passed away about a year ago, uh, but just really was a real pioneer in Christian sexuality. He wrote the book, The Celebration of Sex. And mm. one of the things he talks about is a righteous selfishness mm. when it comes to our sexual relationship. And this is particularly true of women, but also because women don't know how to do this as well, but also of men that um, he talks about like this, there has to be this, this balance of unselfishness and servant mm-hmm. attitude and being be able to, he describes as like playfully demanding yeah, what you want. That's right. And, mm-hmm. And I, I think it's true in our relationship with God, too, mm-hmm. that a healthy Christian is saying to the Lord, you promised me joy. Like, you mm-hmm. promised me your presence. Lord, you know, like, I knew, I want this. I You mm-hmm. you guaranteed that I, I'd be filled with joy unexpressible. Why am I not? And you see that expressed in the Psalms. You see that expressed mm-hmm. in Job, where there is this holy, righteous 
demand for what was promised us. Uh, and I think that that's very appropriate in the marriage relationship. But I think the problem is that you usually have people who don't know how to be selfless or you don't know how to, you have people who don't know how to be selfish and they marry each other. And mm -hmm. so you have one person who is very good at demanding and getting what they want and the other is good at saying, okay, I'm going to be the good spouse. Mm -hmm. A healthy sex life is when you know how to do both yeah. and when it's the season to do both. So, mm -hmm. so righteous mm -hmm. selfishness requires a safety where you know the other person's always going to be protecting your interest and desires, but that you can also say, what I desire most is you. I am my beloved's, and he is mine. Right. And I say mm -hmm. being gracious with what your spouse can offer. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, part of where this goes wrong is that you have a desire that your spouse can't meet. Their body mm -hmm. doesn't look like you wish it would. They don't have the energy that you want them to. They don't have the personality to be adventurous and spontaneous. And so some of that selfishness has to be guided with mm -hmm. the, mm -hmm. this is about loving a person. Um, it's about enjoying this together. It's about me entering into this celebration fully, not demanding you need to become who I want you right. to be. Well, and this is part of the celebration pillar, but the yeah. other pillar is the fact that the Jewish word to know includes the idea of sex, that right. if I don't know this person and I'm demanding things I want at the exclusion of knowing them, then right. I have now destroyed intimacy and I'm trying to have one pillar while destroying the other pillar and it all falls down. Right. And so these pillars really do build on each other, like faithfulness is a foundation Intimate knowing that yada that you mentioned is the second one. An attitude of laying myself down for my for my beloved. And then the passionate celebration is the culmination of all that. But I think most married couples start with, we want the passionate celebration, but they haven't done the work to get there. And then they just give up on it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So is this what's in the new book? Tell us about the new book. Yeah, I just told you all about it. Yeah, she did. She gave us the whole rundown. Well, I did. I'm still going to buy it. <laughs> right, I'm, I'm, guess, I'm guessing there's more in it, but, you know, I feel like I understand it now. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, you, got, you, got, you got the spark notes. So how do people connect with your podcast, what you're saying, and get this new book and uh, get, their, get their pillars shored up? Yeah, well, you can find everything we're doing at AuthenticIntimacy.com. That's sort of the hub for it all. Okay. okay, authentic intimacy Wonderful. dot you said org dot com dot com yeah. not org authentic mm -hmm. intimacy dot com. You can check that out. Get all of Julie's stuff that hopefully is something that you guys can read as couples and get excited about things that are possible. And and wait before you, I heard that intake of air. But first, I want to be encouraging for couples that have spent. 10, 15, 20 years struggling through this, is there still hope for them or is it just too far gone? They can't, they can't get their pillars back. Hmm. Is that a question? That was a question. Oh, um, there's always hope. That's why I was, I, I was hoping you said that because yeah. if you didn't, yeah. I don't know what we do. No, it's yeah. <laughs> God loves to breathe life into dead things. So there's mm. always hope. Well, listeners, we've been talking to Dr. Julie Slattery. Dr. Slattery, thank you so much for taking time from your busy schedule 
to share with us. Uh, this, I can already tell, is going to be a favorite episode of the Pirate Monk Podcast. Well, thanks so much for having me on. This was really fun. Great. I enjoyed it. I sure enjoyed it. Listeners, stay with us. We'll be back in just a moment on the Pirate Monk Podcast. are back on the pirate monk podcast well that was a fun conversation it was uh you know i didn't i'd never met julie slattery before and i didn't quite know what to expect what a what a sweet personable uh but wise and very articulate woman and and uh fearless i would call her fearless i i honestly when i was thinking about some of the things she writes about I have talked for so long with women about their power. Like Mm -hmm. I think women are so powerful. Mm -hmm. It's just in the culture we live in, the feminist ideas, the idea of power ends up being like, how do they act within the normal cultural man realm of power? Yeah, uh-huh. of embracing what has for thousands of years in every culture been a woman's power. Like it's always yeah. there. I think women are so much more powerful than guys in so many respects and aspects of life. Mm-hmm. I just love that so much of what she's done is calling women to this place of feeling comfortable and confident in the power that God gave them, which right. is not a lesser than power. Right, right, right. Part of the cultural thing that erodes that is trying to remove the difference, that there is a difference between the power that men have and the power that women have. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that's okay. And and I think that it was so, the crucial distinction that she made between power and control, that it really is, you know. uh, So, uh, I think we could go into a death spiral when we start fighting for control, you know, each one trying to grab the steering wheel. Yeah, and and I actually thinking about those two words to me when somebody uses power to get their own needs met for their mm-hmm. own end that's when it's control i'm trying to manipulate yeah. you versus i know i have a power to invest into you yes. like here you are as a person that is this cool person but i can like amp that up by 40% if i put plug my power cord into your yeah. life yeah, and that's yeah. when it's power and not control because it's for the other person, and that's that's mm. just such a beautiful thing. So I I yeah. I love I love her perspective on those things. I love just the way she articulates it. So it's fun. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, we have once again come to the end of the hour. Uh, I'm not quite sure when this episode will air, so I'm always a little bit. Uh, reluctant to announce upcoming events, which may very well have passed by the time the listener tunes in. Uh, let's just say we are in the holiday season of uh, 2022, headed toward a new year, and uh, all other things that uh, all of the news about the Samson Society you can get by going to samsonsociety.com. 
if you join, and only men can join the Samson Society, by the way. Sorry, ladies. Uh, but once you join, you'll get the monthly newsletter and you can stay up to speed on everything that's going on. Yeah. And if you sign up for the No Bulberry thing, that only comes out, you know, it is it is not an inundation of oh, no, no, no. information in your inbox. It is, how often does it come out? Once a month? Dr. Dr. Tom Mocha has a very, very strict rule. Once a month. So you get once a month, here's what's happening. So this is right. not some kind of, jeez. Uh, I, I did this the other day. I was trying to get stuff for Samuel, find out yeah. about moving costs. I and I, I tried to get an estimate and I didn't realize I was signing up. It looked like it was for a company, but no. Yeah. It went out to every company, and I got 25 to 30 yeah. texts and calls every day. That's not what this is. This no, is a no. sign for the Noble Briefing, and you'll just get what you need to know, and you can move on with your damn life. <laughs> well, hey, that's a good note to close on. Uh, it's time now for you to move on with your damn life. Uh, <laughs> until next time. <laughs> I'm Nate. I'm Ed. And we are your pals here on the Pirate Monk Podcast. Arrgh. The Pirate Monk Podcast is produced by members of the Samson Society. Send your feedback or questions to piratemonkpodcast at gmail.com. Please give us a five-star review on iTunes and share the podcast with a friend. For more information, please visit samsonsociety.com.